And now, The Low Post. Welcome to Holy Crap, The Low Post Podcast. Free agency looked like it was going to be maybe a little bit boring. And then about an hour or some period of time before it started, the news broke that Kevin Durant, I don't know if this makes him a normal person or not a normal person or whatever, has requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets, thus cementing the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and for part of the time, James Harden, and still Ben Simmons, one of the greatest flops in the history of sports, one playoff series win in three seasons, 497 instances of melodrama ending presumably with a trade request from Kevin Durant, which impacts the entire league, obviously. Uh, Woj reported earlier today that Kyrie Irving will probably either follow or or lead Kyrie out the door once the Nets figure out a way to make that happen. The Lakers, we will get to that in a second. Um, to help us just deal deal with it all, suss out all of it, looking, looking fresh as a daisy in Seattle, uh, the guy who's writing all the free agency recaps for us made up some fake Kevin Durant trades today. I had to get my Kevin Durant trades out of the recycling bin that I did last week with Bobby Marks, and they're back, and I even have more of them. Kevin Pelton, is there is there anything to take from this? I mean, everyone wants to do the – Malika Andrews calls it the blame pie. What percentage of the pie of blame does Kyrie Irving get? What percentage of blame does Kevin Durant get for being uh, a quote-unquote not a leader? What about Sean Marks? Oh my God, remember Steve Mash is the coach. What about Mr. Whammy? What about Joe Sy? What about the basketball gods? Is there anything to take from just this being a complete disaster? I mean, I guess there is the question of the quote-unquote super team era, which I think right off at your peril because we'll see where Kevin Durant lands it could be a new super team. I think it, it very likely will be considered a super team wherever he goes. I I do think there's an element where it's probably getting harder to build around three players with maximum salaries because the max salaries are just so high now relative to the salary cap. That's, that's one of the things that did change in the last CBA. But it probably has more to do with this specific combination of players and the combustibility and the fact that, like, look, everything in the NBA is impermanent now. I mean, we'll talk about the Hawks trade in a minute, but you're trading draft picks in 2027. How confident can you be that any player who is currently on your roster is going to be there in 2027? This is, this is a good cautionary note for today because when James Harden became available in Houston— I just remember seeing a groundswell of, why would you even think about three picks and three swaps? It's James Harden. You're combining him with James Harden and Ke- you're combining him with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You can't. What are you going to do? The Danny Ainge thing, where you don't trade Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? But of course, you throw all the picks in and all the swaps. And I said, and I remember writing, look, it's a risk that you probably have to take. And I do think for just, just a nice hot second there. Just for, just for the briefest, the briefest hot second there, they did have an unstoppable team. It's one of the reasons why this is just a, 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 like, it's such a shocking story. In part because they had it, 
They had the team they sought to build. It was that good. It was unstoppable. And then it all fell apart. But I remember saying, like, you probably have to do it. But don't sit here and pretend like these things are risk-free just because James Harden is much younger and Kevin Durant is much younger than Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce were the first time we saw this movie. They're never risk-free. And here we are a year later. All three guys are going to be gone. Ben Simmons is going to be the human, actual human embodiment of the John Travolta as Vincent Vega looking around the room meme from Pulp Fiction. And the Nets are going to have to dig out of a hole the size of the Grand Canyon for the second time in 10 years. We'll talk about how the Durant trade will give them a head start in doing that. And the Houston Rockets, who were also criticized, not by me, for not taking Ben Simmons as the centerpiece of a James Harden trade. I wrote at the time, I think the Rockets made the right bet that betting against these picks or betting on these picks is better than thinking Ben Simmons could be the centerpiece of my next rebuilding team. The Houston Rockets are sitting there. Rafael Stone's got his foot up on the desk, smoking cigars, just signed, just got the uh, the number one pick in the or the number three pick in the draft, the guy who was slated to go number one for a lot of the time, just re-signed Jay Sean Tate to a three-year $22 million deal, $65 million less than Lou Dort got in Oklahoma City. Just smoking cigar, Rafael Stone smoking cigars, drinking. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about anymore, Kevin. This is a, such a disaster. And I, so I, I think back to the Heat team because you're right. This whole like, well, this model's out of style and this model's in style and that thing doesn't work anymore. The only guarantee when you say something like that is that someone else will try that model that's allegedly out of style like tomorrow. There were no big threes for a while. There were big twos. Then the big three came back. I think back to that Miami team and I just wonder... It's not a universal rule by any means, but the power of having an anchor superstar who predates the other ones, who's there before as the Dwayne Wade to draw the other guys in, to be the touchstone of the culture, to be that kind of anchor who is like, no, there was something that existed here before us, something that's bigger than us. The Nets obviously didn't have that. They had uh, a superstars who got their coach fired for daring to start Jared Allen over DeAndre Jordan and all sorts of other stuff. And now it's just over. And I don't I don't really even know what else to say other than I, I it's probably the biggest disappointment, disaster, whatever you want to call it, in the history of the NBA. It's a bigger one to me than the Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Pau Gasol, Kobe Bryant, Lakers, which was sort of a one-year disaster. This one, it's just that you, you just – I don't even know what else to say, Kevin. I mean, that one was injuries, but I, I'm old enough to remember when those 2003-04 Lakers were considered a crushing disappointment because they had the audacity to not win the championship after getting to the NBA Finals and seeing Carl Malone get injured there. And like our standards for what qualifies as a disappointment have changed so massively then with this year's Lakers experiment and the Nets. I mean, the the one playoff series is is pretty shocking when you think about it, especially given that as recently as what, you know, certainly four months ago, five months ago, they were the favorites to win the title this year. How how quickly we got from point A to point B. I mean, I picked them to win the title at the beginning of the season. I can't hide from that. I thought they were. I I watched what they did to Boston when they had all three of them. Now Boston didn't have Jalen Brown. They were kind of a mess, but whatever. I watched what they did to Milwaukee when they didn't have one and a half of them for the whole series, basically, whether it was Harden or Kyrie missing games. And I thought, if these three guys are healthy, it's over. Like, they're just going to stomp the whole league. And I was obviously wrong. I Yeah, I picked Milwaukee, but I would have had Brooklyn ahead of anyone else, certainly anyone from the West, certainly anyone who actually did make the conference finals this year. So 
<sighs> I just, I can't. I just, I, it's. I'm, I'm glad it's over. And I'll tell you right now, I'm gonna. I if if if, Woj floated the possibility, Windhorse floated the possibility. If these guys get paired up again, somehow at their next destination, I may start my vacation early. Because first of all, it's enormously complicated salary-wise. Second of all, the hot thing is like, could the Lakers get them both? I see no feasible way in which the Lakers can get them both. Do you? I mean, I guess they can, but it, it's going to require giving up one of LeBron or AD. So, well, I, even then, I mean, are the Nets accepting Russ two first-round picks and Anthony Davis for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? I mean, it's an interesting question because I've got my list of Why like would they do that? centerpieces of this trade return for the Nets. I think I would put Anthony Davis. I mean, he, you could argue he's second on my list. He, he might be third, but he might be second. That would be something I would do if Kyrie Irving were staying and I could pair Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis, which, by the way, remember that was the Celtics' dream like three years yep. ago and it totally fell apart on them and obviously with other players too. I just, like, why am I doing that if I'm the I mean, I get why I'm doing the Kyrie part of the trade, which is Russ and the draft picks. We will talk about that later. I don't, what, what is appealing to me about Anthony Davis and only – I've got to get more stuff from other teams. I get more draft picks from other teams. I, I just – to me, that's not appealing. But listen, I just saw – the whole NBA just saw this movie. We just watched it. The two of them picked their destination, and this is what happened. Why would any team be like – Let's do that again. Let's run that one back. That was so good the first time. I want to see it again. <laughs> I'm trying to think what the appropriate movie is to have this be the sequel to. I mean, there were a lot of the Sharknado movies, weren't there? I think there were probably a lot of Sharknado movies. Yeah, what's the worst? I don't I don't want to do the worst sequel. There are a lot of bad a lot of bad sequels. Um uh, let's do the let's do the Durant trade. So uh, I went through a lot of fake Durant trades last week. There's still most of the ones that I, I floated are still some of my favorites. The change that has happened since is that according to Woj and other reporting, Kevin Durant has a list. Everyone's got a list, man. Are they just walking around with lists in their pockets? Like I got my grocery list. I got my list. See my list. Here's my list. Everyone see my list. It has two names on it. Phoenix and Miami. I want there to be a piece of paper with Phoenix and Miami in Sharpie on it. I prefer it to be a map and Phoenix and Miami are circled. I like that. Here's a map of destinations. Hopefully I didn't accidentally... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to make fun of any cities. Uh, Phoenix and Miami are his choices. And so I will put this to you. This is going to be long-winded. I have read the idea that the Nets have all the leverage here because Kevin Durant signed an ironclad four-year no-option extension Back when Sean Marks was telling people before the season started, we will have all three of them signed, sealed, and delivered, baby, on extensions. And now Kevin Durant's like, oh, that didn't that didn't happen. Um, and, and I've seen it, you know, so the Nets, well, they can trade him wherever they want. They can trade him for the best return. They don't have to ob- ob- obey his his desires. And I just think that's kind of bunk. Like, that's there, there's some truth to that. Like, they're not desperate, right? They don't have to be desperate. They can be patient. They do have the years. But this is Kevin Durant. The Nets are not going to war with Kevin Durant. 
The Nets are not sending Kevin Durant to a team that he voices opposition to going to because that team is going to hear that opposition and they're not going to trade all of their best stuff for Kevin Durant. This is going to be a cooperative, maybe tense, but cooperative process between the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant's people, the teams that are interested in trading for Kevin Durant, and they're going to have to find something that works together. Kevin Durant is going to be involved in the process. He's going to have some power in the process. And so the question then becomes, if the Nets don't like what Phoenix and Miami have, if they don't like it enough, can they make a three-team deal? Or can they somehow convince Durant to widen his pool of teams to specific targets that we will talk about? This is my question to you. I think the question of the offseason now becomes, if, if, if the teams can make it even work with the hard cap rules, is DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, and all the draft equity Brooklyn wants. I, not, I, would, I shouldn't say that. A, a significant amount. Let's say two picks and two swaps. Let's say it's not the entire four picks, three swaps. Because I do think there's going to be some caution with Durant being 34 and having been injured a lot of the last four seasons. But let's say Aiton Bridges two let's say let's say three picks, two swaps. The Suns who the Suns announced to the world we don't care about the draft. What what is the draft? I don't even know what the draft is. When is it? What does it take place? Do we have a phone that goes to the league office? We don't know any of that. So three picks, two swaps. It, if they can even make that work, and we can talk about the mechanics of that, is that enough for Kevin Durant, in your opinion? I mean, I I think Aiton is reasonably high on that list I was mentioning of guys who I think are likely to be the centerpiece of a Durant trade. Because I think the other element of it is, look, if you just go through the question of how many teams are in a position to compete with Kevin Durant right now and willing to give up what it's going to take in a position to compete after you've traded the stuff and have the stuff that's worth trading for Kevin Durant. And I mean, to me, the list is like four teams two of whom are Phoenix and Miami. So if if that's the list, it's not quite as hard to beat that. I, I think Aiton is in the middle of that group in terms of the centerpiece of the return. But Mikhail Bridges is probably better than whoever else you're going to get as the second best player in a deal like that. Like, you're not going to come out better from that trade, but you can make the argument that, well, people were very high on Phoenix's future post-Chris Paul because the idea is they, they were, would have Booker, Aiden Bridges would be their core. I, not that Ben Simmons is certainly as accomplished in the playoffs as Devin Booker, but you've got a similar timetable with your talent in Brooklyn that like we've got the theory of something that could keep us competitive during this entire time. We're sending our draft picks or swaps to the Rockets. And then Phoenix has Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Cam Johnson, Maybe Jay Crowder, although there's some rumblings that he is not long for Phoenix campaign. To, to, I mean, it's Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. It's going to be a great team. Is it great enough to, to surrender that kind of draft equity? I do think they Phoenix will fight to keep Bridges, okay? Uh, the Nets will fight to get Bridges, and that that offer may end up being that kind of offer may end up being the end point of this if there is an end point. Now, I should, I should say this. I added it up and I double-checked it with Bobby Marks. The Nets would be subject to the hard cap. You can't go over it. It's non-negotiable in the event that they acquire a player in a sign-and-trade. The sign-and-trade player, in this case, Aiton, is coming to them. Hard cap's about $156 million this coming season. 
Bridges, Aiton, Claxton, Royce O'Neal, who's now on the Nets. What a day for Royce O'Neal. Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Cam Thomas, De'Ron Sharp, Patty Mills. You're at $144 million already. $12 million short of the hard cap. And we haven't addressed Kyrie Irving. Are you dumping him for nothing? How are you dumping him for nothing? Now, let's say Claxton is signed and traded to Phoenix as part of this transaction. That's $10 million off. So now you're like $22 million below the hard cap. What? Oh, no. What are you going to tell me? That's, then the base year compensation for DeAndre Ayton comes into play, and they can't take as much back. If- <laughs> That's right. I forgot about base year compensation. Although I did float a lot of this with Bobby. But let, okay, just let me do it, okay? Okay. And, and then maybe, but that's still only 20 something million. And I haven't accounted for Kyrie Irving. I have a zero dollars in Kyrie Irving slot. It seems impossible that I'm going to trade Kyrie Irving into someone's cap space for nothing in salary. It may not even be, anything's possible. They could find a place for Joe Harris. You could find a place for Seth Curry. I guess they could make it work. I, I do think Bridges plus Aiton, which is if you assume a max or a max ish contract for Aiton, is 50 million coming in the door. That hard cap is going to be a real actual obstacle to that package coming to the Nets. Yeah, to me, the only solution to that is to involve the Lakers and that Russell Westbrook contract and to send that entire Russell Westbrook contract to someone else. The construction I had, which uh, in the the piece we did earlier today, which I'm not sure if it quite works with the reported Claxton offer. I'd have to do the math on that. Had the Spurs taking Westbrook in. Sending back Josh Richardson, who's making, I think, about $12 million this season, and he got rerouted to Brooklyn in that deal. The Lakers could also just end up taking you know, a salary like that in the deal because they're saving about $11 million. I, I assume that would be part of the justification for them giving up both the 2027 and 2029 first to dump Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving, uh, was at least we're going to save some money and some luxury tax in the process. But... Uh, I, there's a way to get there, but it is extremely complicated. And part of why I feel like this this deal might take a while. It's it's it actually is extremely complicated. Like it's not a thing that the cap nerds are making up out of whole cloth. It's a really complicated situation. If if you're just getting Aiton, it's easy. If you're just getting Bridges, it obviously doesn't even come into play. If you're getting both, it becomes it becomes difficult. Um, the Miami offer. Let's start here. Let's start here. The Miami offer could be. Tyler Hero, quickly becoming maybe the most polarizing player in the entire NBA, by the way. Um, Duncan Robinson for salary. And the Heat, if they amend the terms of a pick they owe to the Thunder to remove the protections on it, could trade Jovic, who they just just drafted, three additional first-round picks, let's make them all unprotected, and two or three swaps. Hero, Robinson, Jovic, three picks, three swaps. I could see the Nets saying, not enough. We're not a Tyler Hero team. We don't love Tyler Hero. I don't know their opinion on Tyler Hero. I would bet that they're like slightly skeptical about Tyler Hero. Not enough. And so two interesting things happen here. If the Phoenix offer is deemed unworkable or not enough, which I think right now of this moment, 7.40 p.m. Pacific time on the day this all went down, I think both the Phoenix offer and the Miami Heat offer on their own are not enough for Brooklyn today. Now, that's today. The second twist is Bam Adebayo. And as Bobby and I pointed out on, on the podcast a few days ago, the the Nets cannot have – you want to say throw Bam into that deal with Tyler Hero. You've got something. Well, the Nets can't have Bam Adebayo and Ben Simmons 
on their team at the same time for arcane cap rules that I'm not even really sure why they exist because my brain is broken and I don't care enough to remember why they exist. They can't have Aunt Bam and Ben Simmons. The solution to that would be finding a three-team trade in which Bam goes somewhere else or Simmons goes somewhere else, and I get additional assets on top of the Miami assets that satisfy my craving for a Durant super trade. You pitched one of these deals, or maybe two of them today on .com. Give one example so people understand what I'm talking about. Well, the problem is, my first time I tried to work around the Ben Simmons problem, because I was aware of it after you and Bobby discussed it on the low post, I sent Ben Simmons. I think that might be the title of a book about the next book about the Sixers, the Ben Simmons problem by your own Weitzman, how the Sixers tried to tank and failed or something. I don't know. I'd be happy to blur, but uh, I I sent Ben Simmons to the Sacramento Kings for Deer and Fox, who is also subject to the same restriction. So it turns out that deal didn't work either. So, I mean, now the funny thing, by the way, you mentioned the Rockets turning down Ben Simmons as part of the James Harden trade back in the day. I'm so tired of saying all these names. I want to do a podcast where I don't say any of these names. The names are the same every goddamn time. Ben Simmons, James Harden, it's like my brain. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, good news. John John Wall can't be traded for Russell Westbrook anymore. Uh, If if the Rockets were to want Ben Simmons to to solve the the Ben Simmons problem for the Nets, let me tell you, the price would be a lot lot less than the draft picks they got from Brooklyn is the alternative cost back in the day. Uh, I ended up going with Indiana and sent Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald uh, to Brooklyn and a return for Simmons, which is not so, not so super getting, appetizing for Brooklyn. Standpoint. So I'm I'm getting Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Hield, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Well, no, you're getting Bam, Bam in that construction, right? That the whole reason you're doing this is to get Bam. Well, who's getting Bam? Brooklyn. Where oh Simmons is going to India. Simmons goes to India. Yeah, saying. yeah. I mean, Bam would have so a Bam, huge value. Bam, if him to Tyler. Bam, so this is a good example. Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, three picks, Jovich, three swaps, Buddy Heald, Malcolm Brogdon. Woo! I mean, I assume is that I'm, good enough? I assume I'm not getting all those picks and all those swaps and, and, and Tyler Hero if I get Bam Adebayo. I think that, I assume Miami's case is like, look, Bam's much younger. He's on a cheaper contract. We think this is actually pretty close in terms of value is the starting point, especially because if they do BAM and Tyler Hero is not in that trade, then you basically have to give up Gabe Vincent and Max Struess to match salaries. I can't get, I cannot, I cannot abide by those names being mentioned. I, I just can't do it right now. <laughs> Gabe Vincent cannot possibly derail any sort of, it just can't happen. Um, I do want to, uh, the point you made though is critical earlier because the thing you have to consider, I, I have said this before, if I'm the Nets, what I'm doing is I'm scouring the league for the best under-24 players in the entire NBA, guys who are deemed untouchable right now. But guess what? They become touchable when someone like Kevin Durant is available. And finding them and then finding the ones that are on teams where I could get them for Kevin Durant and get other stuff, and Kevin Durant could go to those teams and still have enough around him to feel like he can win. This is why Devin Booker, extension that he's going to sign tonight aside – was is not coming to the Nets in a Phoenix Brooklyn trade. I don't think I would be very surprised because Kevin Durant wants to play with Devin Booker. Devin Booker is the ingredient in the cupboard that he needs, and if that cupboard is bare, he's not going there. You would you would and the, the Bam and Hero thing, both of them coming out of Miami, 
Kevin Durant would probably be like, well, I got Kyle Lowry. He's getting old. Jimmy Butler, he's awesome. Is that enough for me, or do I want one of those guys left over? You would say, why doesn't Miami just offer Jimmy Butler? Like, that's not crazy. But um, I'm not sure that satisfies what the Nets would want. And speaking of what the Nets would want, it has been common thought that, well, the Nets are in the same grave that they were in after the Celtics trade. All their picks are gone. They have no incentive to tank. They will try to remain competitive. To which I say, number one, that depends on who's running the team and who is the lead decision maker. Because the last time they did this, they actually showed no real interest in remaining competitive. They had three sub-30 win seasons, including a 20-win season and a 21-win season. They decided correctly, I think, that the picks that are out the door are a sunk cost. We could not care about the optics of giving Boston the third pick and the first pick and the fourth pick or whatever it ends up being because that's over. We can't turn back time. If it's if, if it's best for us to stay, to if, if the team building is such that we get bad, we can still find picks on the margins the way we found the Levert pick and the Allen pick. And we, so I'm the, I don't think it's necessarily true that, well, they won't tank. They'll try to remain competitive because their picks are out the door. The second thing is Durant is so damn good that they can get everything they want in a Durant trade, they can get players who help them now and picks and swaps that help them replenish um, what they've lost. So let's extend it out of Phoenix and Miami and out of this three-team trade universe. Where else should they be looking? Where else, and I have my own ideas, but where else should Sean Marks be calling in the next, well, he's already calling. I mean, I said that I, I think there are four realistic teams. The other two teams are teams you you talked about uh the, when this previously came up, and that's New Orleans and Toronto. And Scotty Barnes is obviously your first request with Toronto, but part of the, what makes the Raptors so attractive for a trade like this is even if they say no to Scotty Barnes, there's some other guys who could be a workable centerpiece in OG Aninobi or Pascal Siakam. Toronto's my first call. Said it before, say it again. Scotty Barnes is my first request because I get a guy who I think certainly the Raptors think, might be a future superstar. Rookie of the year, 20 years old, whatever he is, all of that. And I could see the Raptors saying, well, he's so good that all we're attaching to him is Gary Trent Jr. and the picks and the swaps that you're going to want, whether it's three picks, three swaps, three picks, two swaps, three picks, four swaps. A lot of picks are going to have to come because Scotty Barnes, as great as he is, is a rookie. And then Kevin Durant walks in the door. And he's got in an OB Siakam, Achua, Van Vliet, all these guys. Like That team is the favorite maybe to win the championship the moment it's constructed. And I think the Raptors have to consider that. I'm not sure they would do it, but they're so loaded around Durant in this fake scenario that I've made up that they'd have to consider it. I, on the other hand, think the Cavaliers, when you called about Evan Mobley, which would be my second call, if not my first one, would say, you know what, I'm not sure we got enough if you're just leaving us with Garland and Jared Allen and no Evan Mobley and whatever the supporting cast is, I'm not, I'm not sure that's quite good enough to justify the outlay of picks or whatever that may have to go along with Evan Mobley. Um, I, I just, I, and then you get into the, what does Durant want part of the equation because Toronto is not on his list and you can see, you can see all the sort of market snobs around the NBA being like, well, nobody ever wants to go to Toronto. Nobody ever wants to go to New Orleans. And I would say, okay, like maybe that's true. Toronto has been like a really high quality NBA team for 10 years now. Masai Ujiri is a really popular executive among players. 
Let's get them in a room, and and it's Canada. Obviously, some players don't want the comp- complexity of like changing your residence to another country and all that. Um, but let's get them in a room and see. And if Kevin Durant feels like I can lift this team to a championship, maybe he'll be amenable to it. Same thing in New Orleans. By the way, if you're Sean Marks, who are you asking for from the Pelicans? Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram? In the event, like if Zion signs his extension tonight, he's off the tail. But who who do you ask for as the centerpiece? Yeah, I mean, I. My first ask would be for Zion. I I think that also his small salary makes it really challenging because, you know, the only big salaries that the Pelicans have to to match it with are Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum and you're not getting both Zion and and, and Ingram presumably and McCollum is the guy that Katie's going there to play with. So, I I think realistically Ingram is the more sensible option, but I would probably ask for Zion anyway. Zion plus Valanciunas plus filler has got to get me close to the number, right? Like that's that's got to be close to enough. Valanciunas is around fifteen, I think. Yeah, it's in the ballpark. It's it's twenty seven. So I mean, you could right, get there about, with. I need about ten more. You need, you know, Larry Nance could be in there. Devonte Graham. There's there's ways you could get there, but it it becomes more complex. I'm not really sure that I see other. Well, no, I should, another realistic candidate is to again. Jalen Brown is the other guy that the Nets would at least have to think about. And I think the Celtics, depending on how much they have to attach to Jalen Brown, he's only got two years left on his contract. There's not a lot of long-term certainty there for Brooklyn. Um, And there's been rumblings for a long time that Jalen Brown, not a long long time predating Boston becoming awesome, rumblings that he would like to test unrestricted free agency at some point. it just depends what you'd have to attach. Is it Jalen Brown and just a bunch of picks and swaps, or do I have to give up Marcus Smart too? And if I have to give up Marcus Smart or Rob Williams, one of those two, I've suddenly got like Tatum and Durant, which is unstoppable and ridiculous. And then I'm counting on like Derek White, one of Smart and Williams. It's not a de- you've compromised your depth to a degree that I think you would actually have some qualms about putting the mother load of picks and swaps in there. What would you do if you were Boston? You just made the finals, by the way. You have a championship caliber team, I think. Right, exactly. I mean, there's just not there's not the desperation to do anything if you're Boston. I mean, unless you're really concerned, unless you're convinced that Jalen Brown is going to leave, I I don't think I would do it. Um, I'm not sure there's any other realistic trades out there. I mean, the Warriors is in realistic. I don't think a reunion is in the cards. I've seen people speculate about Maxi and Tobias Harris, but the Sixers have no picks that they can trade. Really, I don't think so. That's that's a non-starter for me. Uh, Memphis, I think it's just going to take too much out of the jaw supporting cast. I, the Nets have got to get Jaron Jackson and and or Bain in that trade, but Memphis should still be thinking about it and seeing what the, what's there. The, the ja- Michael Porter. The, we should mention the Jackson injury obviously complicates things that he's out the next Jack, four to six months. Jaron Jackson Jr. has the foot injury; he's out four to six months. Michael Porter Jr., but he's a designated rookie max guy. I was going to say the the. the Alternate reality in which Michael Porter Jr. doesn't suffer back problems and averages like 23 a game last season for the Nuggets. He's the perfect trade chip, except he's the five-year designated rookie guy. They can't have him and Ben Simmons. They'd have to make a trade of some other kind. I don't see any other super realistic possibilities. And that's certainly what Phoenix and Miami are banking on, is that our offers may not be your best choice. In the end, they may be your only choice, depending on how amenable Durant is. You're grinning like you've got another one you want to throw at me. Well, there is the, as you mentioned, the Warriors have to take a meeting about this, right? Even after you won the championship. <laughs> you, I, again, 
I, I, I don't think I don't see that. Reu- I think the feelings on both sides of that are a little strained. And I think the last thing Durant wants is to go to to um, pick a new team, but have it be the team that just won the championship and that you already won two with that the legacy makers don't want to give you full credit for those two because you joined a 73 win team. But one one serious like you you have to call the Clippers about what they would offer in addition to Paul George, right? Like that was Kawhi Leonard's call was to KD before free agency. Was it actually just three years ago that these teams all came together? I, Could it possibly have been? There was an I think there was an earthquake at some point. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, they're all the Thunder own everything that the Clippers have in terms of picks and swaps and all that, right? So I'm not sure a, a 30 year old Paul George or whatever he is 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 that exciting to me but sure the, that again you have to you have to talk about it um the clippers could, could is, give you two swaps in the first now at this point okay boy oh boy what a world <laughs> i do think this is a really interesting opportunity for durant i'm not usually like a legacy guy but his career has just had so many weird twists and turns where he leaves at first, he's the backpack wearing, signed my five year extension without any without any hoopla or meetings. Stay in Oklahoma City guy. Everybody loves that guy. Like there's that's the the stay with your team guy is like universally beloved. Then he leaves, and he's got every option in the world to leave. I, by the way, I judge nobody for their career decisions. I just want to make that clear. He leaves, but he's got he can go anywhere he wants. He can go home to D.C. He can go to Boston. He can go to the Warriors. He can go to whoever else met with him in the Hamptons. He can go anywhere he wants. Chooses the Warriors. Probably underestimating the degree to which he's going to be vilified for that, and those titles are not going to be weighed the same as they would have been elsewhere. Leaves the Warriors, I think in part for that very reason. I'm going to build something on my own with, with my friend. This obviously goes up in smoke. I mean, that's even an under. There's more than smoke. There's a, this is a, or it's a sinkhole has opened, and the Barclays Center has fallen in it, and no one will ever be seen again. This is his chance Maybe his last chance to reclaim, to the degree he cares at all, the narrative momentum of his career and win a title that, whether we like it to admit it or not, some titles hit differently, count differently than others. I mean, there's a, the Warriors came out and said after the title two weeks ago, this one means a little bit more. It's Steph Curry's, quote, crowning achievement. That's the achievement. That's the one that Durant it does not necessarily have, even though he has two Finals MVPs. I, I I think it's a really interesting moment for him. I don't know which of these teams is quote-unquote best for that, but I, I do think that's that discussion is worth having because I was shocked, and I got killed for saying this on TV, KP. I was shocked in the wake of the Warriors winning the title again this year and Steph winning Finals MVP at how universal it became, unanimous, that Steph had leapt Durant in the all-time player rankings. And I don't, they're both unbelievable to me. I hate pitting players against each other. But I think a lot of that is because of the storybook nature of Steph's career and the fact that it turned all the way around for him here towards not the end, but the middle or the late middle or something. And Durant has had this weird, confusing career arc that nobody's what nobody knows what to make of and yet i still stack them up and i'm like are we sure that kevin durant isn't above steph curry in the all-time rankings i understand it's four rings to two 
um, storybook to not storybook. But I, I, that that discussion just struck me how unanimously it went that Curry's either ninth or tenth or eleventh, and Durant's down at thirteenth or fourth. I'm like, this dude scored twenty five thousand points. He's a seven footer. He plays great defense. He's a hell of a playmaker. Like, are we sure? I mean, it's also fascinating that it seems now the the concept of the 2018, uh, 2017 and 2018 finals has suddenly flipped where like in the moment, everyone was like, yes, Kevin Durant was clearly the best player on the Warriors in those teams. And I felt like I was taking a polarizing position to like argue that Steph was still a better player after Steve Kerr was saying on your podcast that KD, you know, just because of his size could do things at the highest level of the game that Steph couldn't. And now all of a sudden it feels like, you know, you have the whole Draymond conversation about double teams. Like people remember it now is, oh, I guess we all got kind of carried away with the KD thing and Steph was actually the best player on those teams, which is kind of fascinating how, how that's changed. I mean, I, I think from a legacy standpoint, like the farther away we get out from this, the story still matters, but the the visceral emotions matter less. The emotions of KD's departure from Oklahoma City and, you know, the, the decision to go to Brooklyn and all those things. Same way that we've seen with LeBron. Like, people don't hold the decision against LeBron in the same way anymore, rightfully so. But, you know, that fades. What I do think is fascinating about Durant is, like, you look at him among the all-time great players, which whether he's top 10 or just outside it, he's undoubtedly one of them. Even the guys that moved around a fair bit, like LeBron and Shaq and Moses Malone, there's still there's teams that you associate with them with and where they are beloved figures. Where's the place where Kevin Durant is going to be beloved after his career? I mean, maybe the Oklahoma City scars eventually heal, but that feels like that's going to take a long time. I think the place that he's most popular is, is here in Seattle. It's the one place he didn't leave by his own volition. Boy, that is a the way you just frame that is a real gut punch. Like, that one hurt me in the gut because the Oklahoma City scars are still fresh. It didn't help that his own superstar teammate took jabs at him and the cupcakes and all that. Um, the Warriors thing ended ended not great, and, you know, they were just such a stacked team. The Brooklyn thing is just an all-time Hindenburg. Um, it's, that, that's a gut punch. If you Before we get to Kyrie – if you just had to guess, if you had to play this out probabilistically as you are want to do, where do you think he goes? I think Phoenix has the best combination of, look, they do have attractive players to send back to Brooklyn, whether they're necessarily attractive enough. Clearly on his list of preferred destinations. And I think they're going to be more motivated in some ways than Miami to make this deal. I mean, not that the Heat won't be motivated, but I think the Heat can look at it and say, if it takes Bam Adebayo, you know, that that is shortening our window. If we're relying on three guys in their 30s and Jimmy Butler and Kevin Durant and Kyle Lowry. Phoenix, on the other hand, like Chris Paul is their window right now. As much as I said earlier, people are optimistic about their ability to compete beyond that especially with DeAndre Ayton, what a question mark his future is right now. Like, you can't feel that confident going forward in Phoenix. I think you got to do everything you can to try and win a championship with Chris Paul, and Kevin Durant is the answer to that. So, so Phoenix. Let's go to the simpler conversation, which is where the hell is Kyrie Irving going? And all you got to do is go through the list, his list. Does, a, is, is, does he have a list? What is a list, really? What are words and letters and names and numbers and cities? What is geography? What are we all anyway, Kevin? What are we doing on this earth? Normal people have lists. Dallas just lost Jalen Brunson. Have never sensed a big appetite to take on the Kyrie experience, even so. 
New York just got Jalen Brunson. Okay. Clippers. Clippers are always listed for these guys. Never sensed any interest at all in upending your team, their team for Kyrie Irving. The Wizards are an interesting fake. You know, we need a point guard. Like, I can I can make up good fake trades for them. But they just got Monte Morris and DeLon Wright, which would indicate to me they're not super interested. But who knows? I just think by default, as Homer Simpson once said, default, the two sweetest words in the English language, that Lakers proposal of Russ and at least one, if not both, and I'm demanding both if I'm the Nets, both first-round picks becomes palatable to me because now I don't care about fit. I don't care. Oh, Russ and Ben Simmons, that's terrible. I don't care. I don't care about fit. I don't care about this season. Just give me the picks. And this is why this this whole thing is so seismic because it's the decimation of a title contender in Brooklyn, the creation of a title contender wherever Durant goes. And I think it's not an exaggeration. You may disagree to say the creation of another title contender if Kyrie Irving joins LeBron James and Anthony Davis with the Lakers, I think that team could be that good, even though they're going to have some depth issues. I actually liked most of it. People are going to make the clutch jokes because all these guys are clutch clients. Lonnie Walker and Juan Toscano Anderson and Troy Brown Jr. I don't know. I don't, Damian Jones is not a clutch client. He's a CAA client. I like I like all those signings for the Lakers I, as, as for what they are. I think that team could compete for a title. I mean, I think just at at the end of the day, the lack of reliable two-way players would would probably doom them. I think I'm going to learn from my mistake in picking the Lakers to win the Western Conference last year in that regard. So even if you don't have the fit issues that came with Russell Westbrook being next to those two guys, and and Kyrie is is certainly an upgrade and, and is a shooter and and has at times been been you know good enough defensively to be part of a championship team in Cleveland, I. I still don't think they'd have enough depth, but I do like what they did today from the standpoint of they, they learned their lesson of it's not all guys that peaked five, 10 years ago. It's, it's younger guys who have been kind of the better minimum targets in recent years. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right. Well, 
Boy, that was a lot. What a day. What a day for Kevin Durant, for the Brooklyn Nets, for everybody, really, Kevin, for all of us in the NBA community. Um, there's part of me that is tempted to chuckle at the Atlanta Hawks, which is the next team we have to talk about, for trading three first-round picks, including two unprotected Hawks first-round picks, plus an unprotected pick swap for DeJounte Murray the day before Kevin Durant <laughs> requested a trade from the Nets. But I don't think the Hawks, other than Trey Young, have the kind of centerpiece player that the Nets would be looking for. So I'm not going to laugh at them for that. I think this is a really fascinating trade. Before this whole Durant thing blew everything out of the water, I thought it was the most interesting. I thought it, there was a chance that we would end today as still this being the most interesting move that happened. Um, I've seen a lot of parallels with the Drew Holiday trade to Milwaukee as as Atlanta's looking for that two-way two-guard who's their final piece of the puzzle. I, I, I don't. I don't like that comp, and that's part of why I think this is an absolutely massive risk for the Hawks because I don't think they were in one piece away territory. I actually, from the Spurs' perspective, it reminds me a lot of the first Drew Holiday trade, the one where Philadelphia bailed out of a one-time All-Star when he was still very young to increase, to get a whole bounty of draft picks, get themselves out of mediocrity, increase the odds that their next draft pick would be the number one pick in the draft. And obviously there are one and potentially two generational prospects in the next draft. I actually like that comp a little bit better. Before this trade happened and when it was rumored, I told, I think Bobby, I kind of don't, I kind of don't love it for either team. Like, I, I, it's not as fun for the Spurs to get out of a rising 25-year-old player who's just going to get better and better, ha- having been further and further away from an ACL tear. You know, um, and I don't like the Hawks giving up so much draft equity. For a guy who's a very good player, who will be a rising player, maybe makes a couple more all-star teams, but isn't an all-NBA level player, and the Hawks are not a team, that's one piece away from being a title team or a finals team, I don't think. And then the trade happened, and I saw the draft equity that the Spurs got and that the Hawks gave up, the lack of protections, all of that. And I kind of decided I like it better for the Spurs than I do the Hawks. And it's just such a haul of draft picks for a guy who's – and I love DeJounte Murray, but he's just not in the class of players for whom we usually see this kind of haul of draft picks traded. And, and I just think – it's undeniable that the Spurs long-term is just a reality of the NBA are in a better position now if you care about winning championships after this trade than they would be with DeJounte Murray and let's say DeAndre Ayton, which was the other sort of guy that I wanted to pair them up with DeAndre, uh, DeJounte Murray. Like, just have some fun. Let's have some fun. Well, now uh, the Spurs bailed out of that and they just got a ton of stuff for DeJounte Murray. The Hawks pair Trey Young and Murray, which we can talk about. To me, they're just... The grade on this for Atlanta is still TBD because there are so many other shoes to drop as they reshape their team. Um, what's your kind of initial takeaway on this one? This is a fascinating trade. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to go back and check out, because even even the picks in the holiday trade to Milwaukee are like lightly protected generally. You know, uh, the, the pick that ended up going from New Orleans to Portland in the C.J. McCollum trade and then on from Portland to Detroit in the Jeremy Grant trade and now has somehow ended up on in New York. Uh that's top four protected. Like there, there's something to it to give up two unprotected picks and an unprotected swap in between them. Look, obviously the Hawks are hoping that those picks are all in the twenties, that they're a better team than San Antonio and the swap doesn't matter. But as I said, at the beginning of this podcast, 
This league moves so quickly that I don't see how you can be that confident of anything three years out in the case of the first pick, uh, four years out in the swap, five years out of the second pick. I mean, by that point, you know, DeJounte Murray could sign with another team. You got luxury tax issues that are going to come into play at some point if you do max DeJounte Murray out and try to keep this young core together. Uh, I, I went back five years because I was curious if I went back in our future power rankings, like who were the teams that we were high on because they had kind of a young core five years ago that we turned out to be most wrong about. At that point in the summer of 2017, Minnesota had just traded for Jimmy Butler, was number five in the future power rankings. The Washington Wizards were number 10, coming off an Eastern Conference semifinals trip, got within a game of the Eastern Conference finals because we were very excited that 24-year-old Bradley Beal and 24-year-old Otto Porter Jr. were coming into their prime alongside 27-year-old John Wall. So life comes at you fast in the NBA. Um, the luxury tax is just going to be... a. a- there's they are so deep into it now that even if you factor in they trade Collins for no long-term salary eventually they let Bogdanovich walk in free agency with Herder with Hunter's extension with the Kongu's new deal whenever you know after his rookie deal is up they're going to be in the tax almost this entire time and I just I just feel like let's say they trade Collins eventually which has been rumored for so long that it almost feels like a fait accompli I just am interested to see how they construct this team because they have Murray and Young in the backcourt, Capella and Okongwu at center. Now, I think Capella is an obvious trade candidate now that they need to shave money. I, to, to, I think so far, the Hawks clearly bet extending Capella would increase his trade value. I think so far it has muted it or it remained neutral. Um, we'll see how that I, – I think there's good reason to think Capella will have a better year next year. Um so those two guys plus the center, and then you like who are the three and the four? Are you just turning DeAndre Hunter into a four now, full time? I think Jalen Johnson is factoring into this equation more than people on the outside might realize. Is Herder along for this team? I just think there's like a lot of question marks just in terms of the the very sort of basic fabric of their team, what their lineups look like, what their what their foundational identity is before you get to the how is this going to work on offense for a team that was already the number two offense in the NBA? Um, I, I just think defensively, lineup-wise, there are a lot of questions to answer. And I just look around. I'm like, they're not better than Miami next year. They're not better than Philly next year. They're not better than Boston. They're not better than Milwaukee. Brooklyn was on my list of not better teams this morning. Um, and you could argue that if you're the Hawks, you say, well, okay, we're young, though. Our guards are young. Our core is young. We can outlast Miami. We can probably outlast Philly. Maybe we can outlast Milwaukee, considering the age of Middleton and Holiday, although Giannis is so good that I don't know that anyone can outlast him. Boston, they're going to be around a while. And below those guys, I can look around if I'm the Hawks, and like, who am I really scared of in three years? Chicago? Eh. Toronto? That's one I might be scared of. The other teams in the East are like so far away from being scary, scary to me that I can find, I, if I'm the Hawks, I can talk myself into like in this middle territory, we might be able to strike gold, strike the timing right. And all of a sudden we're a finals team. It's just hard for me to see that roadmap. And you mentioned Minnesota. I was all in on Murray to Minnesota. I understand why the Wolves looked at this price and said, it's too much. Wouldn't have surprised me. It wouldn't surprise me at all to learn slash my educated guess is the Hawks would have wanted Jaden McDaniels as well and maybe a little bit less draft equity from Minnesota. That, that's my educated guess. 
Um, I, I could see why they would balk at something like that, but I, it's it's crazy to say because the Wolves have accomplished nothing relative to what the Hawks did in making the conference finals. I almost feel like the Wolves, because they have two clear studs in Edwards and Towns, were almost in a stronger position to make this kind of all-in offer for DeJounte Murray than the Hawks were. Does that make any sense? I, I think it is reasonable from that standpoint, yeah. And Edwards just potentially has so much room to grow. Like, Atlanta has young players. Okongwu is the only guy who we think is probably going to be substantially better or substantially different than he is right now. Uh, that's, you know, I think the, 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 that I think gives Minnesota more upside. Now I would understand if the Timberwolves were a lot more cautious about throwing away unprotected picks because they have pretty recent history of what happens when you, uh, undervalue your own draft picks in a trade. Um, I think, I think the Hawks are going to be really good. I, I like the fit of the, uh, on offense, will it take some time? Maybe like they're both used to having the ball all the time, particularly Trey Young teams are not going to guard DeJounte Murray off the ball in the half court. Okay, fine. That's like, I think they're so talented. You need multiple good ball handlers to get far in the NBA. And a Trey is going to have to move off the ball. Not to, he's not going to be Steph Curry. Everybody wants him to be Steph Curry. There is no other Steph Curry. Nobody has ever moved around and no one has ever had the combination of movement, dribbling and shooting that Steph Curry has. You just need him to not stand at half court doing nothing when somebody else has the ball. How about just like move five feet one way and you'll be open. Relocate, set a pick now and then. And DeJounte Murray can attack those gaps on the weak side when Trey Young runs a pick and roll, draws the defense. Boom, yeah, maybe I'm not going to shoot a three. I can attack a gap. He'll pr- he'll prop up the offense when Trey Young is on the bench. As he wrote, that's been a problem for a long time, although not as much last season toward the end. Uh, and I think, crucially for the Hawks, he'll force some freaking turnovers. And get some rebounds. This team forces no turnovers. They were 28th and 29th the last two seasons in forcing turnovers, which get you easy buckets on the other end. So I, I like the fit between them. I just think the price is so high and the future is so uncertain that if I'm... And I also think ownership played a big role in a push this large. Tony Ressler, the governor of the team, was open about, we got to make changes. We got to make changes. This this deal kind of smacks of ownership aggression it just, you know, it, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind it, but I just I like it better for the Spurs. And, and actually, in the light of day, I don't think it's close. Although, KP, the lottery odds, the lottery odds are different now. This isn't, this isn't you get a 25% shot at the number one pick if you're the worst team. You get a 14% shot, same as the number two and number three worst teams. Um, the Thunder were the only team, famously, that voted against the lottery odds changing. Sam Presti, the head of the Thunder, I don't even know what Sam's title is at the Thunder, is a Spurs alum. The Spurs got where they got in large part by getting David Robinson and then Tim Duncan. So there's some sort of fitting poetry there. I don't know. Any other thoughts on this one? I thought it was really I thought it was a really interesting, fun trade. I mean, it's a trade that, look, five years from now when the last of these picks comes due. We're probably going to, I mean, maybe we'll feel like it's a win-win that Atlanta has been successful in the early part of it, but San Antonio still, you know, is able to rebuild all of it out of it. And uh, both teams are going to feel good about where they were, but I I think there's a a good chance we're going to have some strong takes. I, my comparison always has been when you have uh, a couple of guards like this. I, I, I go back to my time covering the Seattle storm in the WNBA and Sue Bird is like the great the goat point guard in WNBA history all-time leading assister but it was kind of interesting back when they won a championship in 2010 
the way that they typically finish games was Tanisha Wright, who was the shooting guard, would run pick and roll and Sue would be spotting up because she was so much better a shooter than Tanisha Wright was that she was a threat in that role. And one of the key shots in that finals run in the to, to beat Phoenix in game two of the Western Conference finals was uh, a Sue Bird three catching it off a pick and roll run by Tanisha Wright. So if Trey Young can do that, you know, not Steph Curry, then they'll be in great shape. I already have my tickets July 28th, Sue Bird's last game in Connecticut, last regular season game anyway in Connecticut. I will be there. My wife will be there and uh, can't wait to see Sue play uh, in person in her last season. Um, Yeah, I just, you know, look, I get why the Hawks did this. I'm willing to see how they build out the roster around these two guys and what changes between now and opening night. I just, it's, it's, uh, it's a murky future for them i think the fit will ultimately be fine but it's a murky future let's go rapid fire through some other things you mentioned beal beal resigns in washington for the five-year max the wizards also get monte morris delon Wright. they make a trade with the nuggets that brings in will barton alongside monte morris um active few days for the wizards who have like a, a a bunch of good players you know kyle kuzma still there porzingis obviously all the centers they had last year and thomas bryant etc cetera, etc cetera. on beal I just feel like they missed the boat, Kevin. I, I just think a, a, a more a, a smarter, more well-run team would have traded Beal two years ago when he had two years left on his contract, gotten the mother load, gotten out of this business, started from scratch with a whole bunch of assets. And now if Bradley Beal goes to them in a year and says, hey, you know what? We're not very good. I'm awesome. I will look way better with better talent and particularly better defensive talent around me. Like He would have been incredible in Miami. Alongside the core players in Miami, and and I think all the the noise that Bradley Beal is like, well, is he the second or third best player on a championship team? Whatever the noise is that he's he's sort of the numbers are a little bit not hollow, but ten percent hollow. I think that would have gone away in that scenario. I just don't think they're getting the mother load for him, and on this contract, making fifty million dollars a year, I just feel like they kind of missed the boat. Like, where's what is what is this team doing? I mean, I feel like you wonder about the role of ownership in that one as well, how important it has been for the Wizards not to bottom out and to remain competitive. And I like what they've done this week. Uh, You know, I thought that Denver trade was a a clear win for them. I like DeLon Wright quite a lot. So that that Monte Morris, DeLon Wright combo at point guard, you're, you're getting good production for the value there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you want to understand, like, why should the Spurs have made this DeJounte Murray trade now? you, You never know when a player's trade value is going to start to decline as they head toward the end of their contract. Like Murray's case is a little different because the the cheap years are so much a part of this. But same thing, if he even if he had re-signed at the end of it, is he as useful in a trade then as he is now? Probably not. The other thing, I want to go back to that Hawks-Spurs trade because you, you mentioned you just brought it back up now. And I always caution myself when I say, oh, I mean, I like this trade for the Spurs. This is the hinky rule. You win every trade when you're trying to lose games. It's easy to win every trade where you're not trying to actually win basketball games. Because, oh, look at all these picks we got. The teams that are getting the good players are the ones that are actually taking the risk and trying to increase their upside. They, they, It's it's just like Sam Hinkie never lost a trade. Well, that's true, maybe. But all he was trying to do was lose basketball games for the most part in Philadelphia. And I think I always have to caution myself here because at least – the Hawks are going for it. At least the Hawks are saying we have one all-NBA player. We're going to bet on a guy that, frankly, I would bet on. 
25 years old. I think he'll improve as a three-point shooter. Defense, amazing. Rebounding, amazing. Attitude, amazing. Like, I like the... Again, I was hoping the Wolves would bet big on him, so I can't really mind the Hawks betting big on him. But uh, I do have to caution myself on that hinky rule. But the Wizards, I just don't... I just don't know what the... I just don't know where this is all... Where this is all going, KP. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there's there's kind of two scenarios. Either it's Beal plays out his career and kind of, you know, never has that that playoff moment that surpasses the one we just talked about when they got within a game in the conference finals in 2017, uh, unless they get you know extremely lucky in the draft and someone out or you know with development, or a year or two down the road we do get to that point where it's Beal looking to go somewhere else. What do you think of the Denver side of the uh, – so Denver trades Contavious called – Denver trades Will Barton and Monte Morris, who arguably the best or second-best backup point guard in the league. It was him and Tyus Jones last year who re-signed with the Grizzlies. So they trade Barton and Monte Morris for Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith. A weirdly fun trade that was polarizing. I was on a plane to Los Angeles watching the reaction flow in, and I had my own take, which we'll get to. But it's one of the rare trades of like role players that people had very strong and opposite opinions of. What did you think for Den- from Denver's perspective? Yeah, my I, I like I think Caldwell Pope is a somewhat better fit for them than Will Barton. Totally understand that part of the trade. I, I don't think that that upgrade was worth going from Monte Morris to Ish Smith on the other half of it. I mean, to some extent, you know, the grade depends on let's see what they do at backup point guard. Do they bring in Vasilye Misic? Although his, his projections were not as not very strong when I ran those uh, the other week, so I, I got to dig more into that. Uh, you know, do they upgrade? Because their their small forward depth chart now is extremely thin. I guess it was before this trade, but uh, where do they add there to try to get some depth? Uh, if they're reinvesting some of the savings from this in the Jermichael Green trade, I feel differently than if this is just them trying to mitigate their luxury tax bill. He might not be a traditional three, but I think Devon Reed, who they just re- who they just signed to his standard contract today, the Nuggets did, has a chance to be a good backup for them. I I was kind of surprised how many people really did not like this trade for the Nuggets. To me, the fit upgrade from Barton, who's on the decline, not as good of a shooter, not nearly as good of a defender, to KCP, who's a better shooter, a way better defender and is a good off-ball mover. He's already ready to sort of play off of Jokic. He's a good sneaky cutter along the baseline. He moves off the ball really well. I just think the fit is really good. The bench, they do have to build it out a little bit. Bones is going to be a critical backup player for them. Maybe they're de facto a backup point guard. We'll see how that all shakes out. I just think the starting five of Jamal Murray, KCP, Porter, Gordon, Jokic is going to be so freaking good that this is a team that is going to be in the championship conversation next year if they stay healthy. And that is, I I don't know. I mean, this is a totally subjective thing. I think Michael Porter Jr. might become the most important player in the league next season. If he's healthy and looks like he, it looks like an improved version of the guy who was finishing the season two seasons ago when they looked like they were going to be world beaters going into the playoffs and then Jamal Murray got hurt. They can win the championship. If he and back injuries are weird and all that, if he's stalled out, just pretty good, ceiling is lower than it used to be, their future gets a lot murkier. But I, I love their team on paper if he's if he's ready to go. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's somewhat a risk tolerance question because they're starting five, I agree. And, and Contavious Caldwell Pope sort of becomes what Gary Harris was briefly in Denver and then was hypothetically in Denver for a long period of time before they traded him for Aaron Gordon. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think their, their second unit is as strong without Monte Morris and without Barton to kind of play with those guys. Um, We're going rapid fire now. They're doing it to me again, Kevin. They're doing it to me again. I'm going to be Charlie Brown, and James Harden is going to be holding a football for me to kick. Or actually, you know what? Daryl Morey is going to be holding a football for me to kick. I'm going to run up to it with a big freaking smile on my face, and I'm going to fall on my ass because I love the Sixers offseason so far. Let's review, shall we? James Harden. Remember James Harden? Oh, I was, yeah, I was going to opt in. As part of the trade, just I just kind of forgot to do it. Pa- you know, paperwork. Everyone hates paperwork. Who wants to do paperwork? Forgot. And immediately I started hearing the whispers, and I said it on this podcast. The whispers that he's going to take less money. Maybe so much less money that the Nets would say, uh, NBA, you want to take a look at what's going on here? Because this doesn't seem right. We don't know how much less money he's going to take because he's negotiating over the weekend with Philadelphia, according to Woj. But we can surmise that it's going to be in the mid to high 30s million dollars per year, down from his option, which I believe was 47 for one year. Because the Philadelphia 76ers, with the full mid-level, signed P.J. Tucker. With the mini mid-level, signed Daniel House, sensing a theme here, uh, and traded for DeAnthony Melton on draft night. I love all three of those moves. They're all the kinds of players that I would want, 3 and D-ish players with some spunk to them, particularly in Melton's case in terms of rebounding and speed. Exactly the kind of players I love around Harden. And I'm already my stomach already hurts. I already feel like I'm going to puke, Kevin, because I've, the rumblings are he's taking his conditioning seriously. He's, he's, he's starting. He's, get, he's, going, he's going after it. And if you give him good health, good hamstrings, good conditioning – the Harden and Bede pick and roll was the most efficient pick and roll combination in the league once they made the trade. They get another year to play together. They get another year to play with Maxi, who's a rising star in the league and plays well off of them. The bench is better. I don't have to see as much George Yang. I love the minivan, but I don't need to see George Yang as much. Maybe don't need to see Thibel as much killing their offense. Maybe P.J. Tucker solves my backup center problem instead of Paul Reed. God, God bless there's no DeAndre Jordan around. I like this team, KP. Why can't this, why can't that team compete with Milwaukee and Boston? They have Joel Embiid is Joel Embiid. He's a top five player in the NBA. I just gave you everything else, and yet, and yet, what is our last memory of the Philadelphia 76ers? Laying down and quitting, some of them anyway, against the Miami Heat in Game Six at home. A game in which James Harden, facing elimination, took two shots in the second half, vanished, just van, like just was he there? Where is he? And then said after the game, "Hey, yo, the, the ball didn't come back to me. I just didn't get the ball." You're James Harden, and it's just we've seen that movie in elimination games so many times that I just I I I, I I'm having so much cognitive dissonance because on paper this team is really freaking good. I think they're one of the winners of the offseason so far. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, they, I went back to the quotes from after that game about 
all the Sixers players and and Doc Rivers talking about how they needed toughness. And Joel Embiid specifically mentions the Heat having PJ Tucker. Well, well, they went out and got PJ Tucker, and, and Daniel House is certainly going to provide some of that toughness and DeAnthony Melton the defensive grit that they need. Uh, you know, I think you looked at the Mel- after the Melton trade, him replacing Danny Green, who wasn't is you know was hoping to play at some point this season, coming off an ACL tear, but seems unlikely. Uh, the the one need was okay. Well, who's going to defend the the bigger guys one on one? PJ Tucker fills that. Daniel House, to a lesser extent, fills that. So I I certainly loved what they did today. And I I I got to admit, when you t- started talking up the Sixers the other day, I was much more skeptical. Now I'm willing to buy in. Certainly in the regular season, I think with James Harden and just unfortunately Joel Embiid staying healthy in the playoffs, I need to see it. But if he can does, we just, can we please see it? Because I'm so sick of watching this guy. Because so many of them have just been fluky. For sure. You know, Pascal Siakam elbows him in the face by accident. He's wearing the face mask for the second time in three years. He breaks his hand somewhere. It's not like these are foot injuries and leg injuries. You know, he he had a, he, he I believe he had some sort of respiratory thing against Toronto in the 2019 playoffs. So he had some illness of some kind, maybe a stomach illness. I just this poor guy. Can we just see it? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so I I feel a lot better about their chances today. Uh, although you know, the, I share your your. Uh, I can't do uh, it. They're not going to do this ache. to me again. They're not going to do this to me again. But they are going to do this to me again because because <laughs> I'm going to let it ride, baby. Um, I I just think they've had a great off season, and I just think like Harden and beat. There's so much scrutiny on Harden. He's brought it all upon himself. Quit on two teams. Shrinks shrinks to the size of a thimble in elimination games. Whether it's two of eleven shooting turnovers, not shooting at all, not wanting the ball at all, shrinks to the size of a thimble in too many big games. Has a lot. Has had a lot of good playoff games. Let's not let's not get it twisted. But I, I just think that the talent is the talent, and Embiid is a super talent, and he and Harden have good chemistry, and I like the players around them. I'm in. I'm in. Knicks. Jalen Brunson, four years, a hundred and four million dollars. Woo. A bunch of second-round picks out the window to open cap space and dump contracts. Kemba Walker, Alec Burks, Nerland Zoel, a downgrade in first round in a first-round pick on draft night in a whirlwind of trades. All for Jalen Brunson, who will never make an all-star team, who will be something like the 15th best point guard in the NBA, probably around there, and that may be high, actually, once you start ranking the point guards. Um, now, if Mitchell Robinson comes back, they will be without cap space or any avenues to get cap space for like the next three or four years for the foreseeable future, depending on what happens with a lot of other players, including Julius Randle. And and so it's not only this move paying Jalen Brunson this much money, which we can debate. I like Jalen Brunson a lot. It's okay. What's the pivot? Where is this? Where am I going with Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, and Mitch Robinson, and Isaiah Hartenstein, and probably other people that I'm forgetting that are part of their, you know, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin, who need to play more, you know, uh, uh, Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride, like, where, where is this team going in the scheme of the East and the NBA, and how can they pivot? Those two questions, Jalen Brunson and that, are connected, and, I, and so is the previous offseason, where they had all this cap space. I liked the deals they made. I was totally wrong. They backfired, and so that offseason erased the possibility 
of using their cap space more judiciously to get picks, to get to get different kinds of players, younger players. And you just wonder, where is all this going? How? What am I to make of all this, Kevin? Yeah, I remember a year ago, we did this podcast, the second morning of free agency, and the Knicks were the single biggest story we talked about. So, And, and they didn't sign anyone to a contract as big as they did with Jalen Brunson. So if you want to give the Nets credit for anything today, at least they took the Knicks out of the back page of the of the, uh, the tabloids there in New York. Uh, I I'm optimistic about the Jalen Brunson signing. I I think look is the price probably a little higher than I would have preferred. Yes, but one of the things thought exercises I went through was like, okay, well if you look at guys who are like average or better starters, how many of them do we really feel like have negative trade value just because of their contract? There's a handful. We, we could name them. But, you know, even you look at C.J. McCollum, who came up as the closest comparison for Jalen Brunson's performance with Luka Doncic on the bench. When I looked at that earlier this week, like despite a much bigger contract, despite being much older, Blazers still got a first round pick when they ended up trading him. So I feel like Brunson's going to retain a decent amount of value. And if that pivot needs to be in a couple of years, it's Donovan Mitchell or whichever star wants to come to New York. And maybe they don't feel like that player is a pit with Jalen Brunson. I feel like you can include him in the heart of that trade and it will work out better than the Alec Burks expiring contract or the Nerlens Noel expiring contract. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The Knicks are the king's the Sacramento Kings of the East, in that almost no matter what they do, they've reached the stage where everybody laughs at them. And I think that perception, which they have earned 10 times over, has has infected the analysis of this trade or this signing. Well, yeah, I think you could say it affected the analysis of the trades on draft night too. I did. In fact, I did say exactly right. that because I look at those trades and they came out, I think, two first-round picks ahead now, um, the first-round picks they got from Oklahoma City are mostly protected, some heavily protected. The one they sent out, number 11, may end up being the most valuable of all the picks, but they armed themselves with more picks, and everyone laughs at them. I'm like, am I missing something? You're like, I don't think this is so bad. And I feel the same way about Brunson. $25 million a year? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a f- maybe a few million dollars more than I would have paid. This is a team that's also been searching for a point guard for like three or four seasons. They have a very good backup in Derrick Rose, who who is not a starter anymore, doesn't want to be a starter, I don't think. Tibbs won't start him. And they 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 were linked to Fred Van Vliet a couple of years ago, which would have been a great fit. They didn't get him. They were linked in trade talks to Malcolm Brogdon. Would have been an okay fit. They didn't get him. 
How am I? How are we going to beat them up for getting a guy who's clearly good? Yeah, Jalen Brunson, maybe you'd like him to shoot more threes. You'd like him to be a couple inches taller. You'd like him to be a little bit better of a playmaker. He's just a good player who will be able to play off Julius Randle, who will need the ball, play off R.J. Barrett, who will need the ball. And I, and I am interested to see sort of what R.J. Barrett becomes on this team and what role he plays. And we'll be able to take the reins of the offense in the half court. And you can tell me about the price is too high and he won't get to play in the five-out spacing in which he thrived in Dallas when there are four three-point shooters around him because Randall will be there and Mitchell Robinson or whoever the center is will be there. Okay, like, fine. Well, I, I can't I can't make everything ideal. I think he's a good player. I think the contract is totally fine and movable. It's everything else around it. And what's the pivot going to be? Because this team as built is just kind of tops out as an okay to maybe pretty good team somewhere down the line. And I don't know what the pivot is. But I will say I really hope we see more of Toppin, especially Toppin this year. Quickly is interesting, and I kind of like Quickly. I like his upside. Good things just seem to happen when Obi Toppin is on the floor, and I want to learn more about what he's doing to contribute to those good things. Because if he starts to hit a little bit more, if Quickly starts to hit a little bit more, if Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes start to hit a little bit more, then that pivot becomes easier to see without it costing you R.J. Barrett, who is, I think, the most important player on the team. And the last thing is, if the pivot is to cap space at any point, I think I think Julius Randle was and is eminently gettable on the trade market. But I just I can't find it in me to be like outraged about this Jalen Brunson deal. I think it's just like fine. It's not great. It's not horrible. It's just fine. I I think what I would say about the Knicks in the Leon Rose era is you can quibble with their strategy, and clearly their strategy was wrong last season. But once they set that strategy, I think their execution is pretty good within it in terms of, you know, finding value on the margins in these draft trades, you know, getting getting guys quickly in the late first round. Uh, and I think over the long run that actually execution wins out and is more important than your strategy because eventually those little wins will add up and, and become more important in terms of giving you options. I mean, we'll see if the theoretical superstar that Leon Rose was brought there to draw ever comes. I think the Knicks, when they made that trade, made that acquisition of Leon Rose and made that commitment for that reason, did not anticipate the Suns with Devin Booker and the Wolves with Carl Anthony Towns becoming good to great teams so quickly and and sort of taking those players out of the equation. By the way, we had a, we were going to do a segment today on, on the NBA Today before the Durant stuff um, happened. Is what's the case for or the segment was make the case for or against the Carl Anthony Town Supermax that is probably coming in about three hours. And I said, I don't think there is a case against it. Can you make a case against it? I mean, you know, I you could say that it's going to be hard to win at the highest levels with Carl Anthony Towns defensively, but. I mean, you're Minnesota. What exactly is the alternative cap space you're missing out on? What am I supposed to do? By... Quibble with Carl Towns? Yeah. Quib- trade him? I'm the Minnesota Timberwolves. I've been in the playoffs once, twice now, since 2004. Carl Anthony Towns is 26. This Supermax will take him through his age 32 season. Those are the exact years I want. 
the cap is going to rise once the new TV deal kicks in. It's going to keep rising. There is no is he the is he a top ten player in the NBA? Probably not. Is he close? Maybe. Can he anchor a defense at center? It doesn't appear so. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. He's an unbelievable player. I'm Minnesota. I can't quibble with that. I got two really good players. I can fill out the roster around him. To me, I know the warts. I know the warts of Carl Anthony Towns' game. I'm well-versed in the warts of Carl Anthony, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. It, there's no case against it to me. 12.01 a.m., they're signing it. That's in two, like, And I think they should. Yeah, I, I ultimately agree with that. What did you think, though, and what do you think, because this is a deal that didn't happen that I want to talk about, about the Wolves pursuing traditional rim-protecting centers to pair with Carl Towns. Clint Capella was mentioned. I was told that was overblown. Rudy Gobert was mentioned. I was told that was overblown, but more more potentially because of how high a price Utah is looking to get in the event if they trade Rudy Gobert. I thought that was really interesting because I didn't expect the Wolves to devote that kind of resource level to center. Even though I know that they tried to masquerade their de- with this, they tried to masquerade a good defense with Carl Towns in the middle by trapping everything and sort of giving up this gimmicking up this aggressive defense because they know he can't be a rim protector and ultimately there's going to be holes to plug on all ends of that defense all over the court and it won't work against the best teams. I just thought, like particularly the Gobert stuff, that contract is so huge. I just kind of didn't see that coming, even though they played with the with the paint-bound power forward in Jared Vanderbilt, who's essentially a center on offense and were quite successful. I'm, I just find it really interesting. Do you, do, do you think a Cat-Gobert pairing would be a good idea? No. I mean, ultimately, I think that it's going to be difficult to win that way for four rounds or even multiple rounds in the playoffs because you're going to come up against a team where you're going to need to play small. And now I'm either taking Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert off the court. So to me, what would have made sense, I, I, I buy the idea that, okay, let's get Towns off the center. Let's bring in someone who's a better rim protector. To me, that's Isaiah Hartenstein. That's Kavon Looney. You know, they, they ended up going in a different direction with their non-taxpayer mid-level and signing Kyle Anderson, who probably is going to push Towns more to center if they don't make a trade. But uh, those, those are the guys I would have been looking at because it's okay if I start them and play them 20 minutes a game during the regular season and then reduce that during the playoffs. Although Kevon Looney was the one center who, uh, you know, ultimately was able to stay on the court the entire postseason. So... That that direction made more sense to me than we're going to invest a ton of resources into these two spots when we know that there are going to be certain matchups where Town is going to be best utilized as a center in the playoffs. Bingo. I wouldn't do the Gobert one. The contract is just too prohibitive. It's too big. I can't throw him the ball on offense when teams go small against us in the playoffs. I can't throw him the ball, period, other than to finish lob dunks, which is fine. He's great at that, and he might be the best defensive player in the league. The contract is too big. And, and you nailed it with the loony analogy. I look at what the Mavs just did with JaVale McGee. Three years, $20 million, And JaVale apparently told Tim McMahon he's expecting to be the Mavs' starting center. Which is really interesting because they have Dwight Powell, Christian Wood, and Maxi Klebold on the team. But I look at the JaVale archetype as exactly the loony archetype. That's where if I'm spending resources at center and I'm the Wolves, I want a guy who will play 18 minutes a game. I still need to have my team construction be that Carl Anthony Towns, even in the regular season, is playing 20 minutes a game minimum at center 
because of his shooting and versatility on offense. I would not spend those kind of resources at center. I think it's really interesting that that idea is apparently not off the board in Minnesota. Like I said before, I would have rather spent that kind of resources at point guard with a defensive-minded, unselfish, gritty, improving, rising guy like DeJounte Murray. That's off the board now. Um, It'll be interesting to see where they pivot. Any other Minnesota thoughts? I mean, who knows? Maybe eventually Walker Kessler becomes that guy. Certainly my draft projections thought so. Really? Okay. I don't know anything about Walker Kessler. Highest projected block rate of anybody I've ever done projections for from college. I like the guys that they're looking for in free agency too, like slow-mo. They signed slow-mo today. I've heard rumblings that they're kicking around the Martin twins. Those are just basketball players. Like they can get more basketball players, more smart basketball players in the door. Be interesting to see how Tim Connolly puts his uh, puts his mark on the team. The Gobert thing just kind of it kind of surprised me. To 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 um to be honest, are you at all um concerned or or flummoxed that we have heard nothing about Zach Levine in the first what what are we five, almost six hours into free agency? Uh, you know, maybe he's an old school July 1st guy. I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, I, I, I'm not flummoxed, but uh, it, it is a little interesting by contrast to Bradley Beal, who kind of seemed to be in the same boat where everyone just expected to resign with their teams. Would you go after Rudy Gobert if you were the Raptors? I mean, I think it depends how much I have to give up. He definitely forces me to change my style of play pretty considerably. Like their whole game plan has been, let's switch everything for a long period of time. And not that Rudy Gobert can't switch, but certainly it doesn't maximize his value. So that I probably wouldn't, I guess is the answer I'm saying there. I I don't think I would either. Um, I like what I've got going too much to put that many resources into it, into Rudy Gobert. The contract is too much. Um, Pistons we talked about earlier. Can we please just talk about Lou Dort for a second? If you would have told me, if you would have told me, guess how much, if you would say, okay, Zach, in two hours, Lou Dort's going to get a new multi-year contract from the Thunder. How many, how much money do you think is going to be the total value of that contract? And just, I'll give you a hint. Air on the high side. I would have said, wow, air on the high side. I'll guess four years, 50 million. Five years, 87 and a half million for Lou Dort, who is a 33 or 32% career three-point shooter. Maybe not even career. I'm not even looking up his stats. I did it earlier today. That was last year. Sub 50% on twos, although he got up to 49% on twos last year. Got a little more comfortable attacking the basket. Did average 17 points a game is an absolute brick wall on defense, can stone anybody at any position, slide his feet with the James Hardens of the world. So I get it. You know, you do have sort of backup-type wings in this league who make 13, 14, 15 a year. Most of them are just really good shooters who struggle at other things. The Thunder are going the opposite direction and say, maybe we can build this guy up and do a better shooter. I just... The money is just uh, – I'm just so happy for him. It's incredible. And I think part of it is they have no money committed to anybody on the team other than Shea Gilgis-Alexander on veteran contracts. They're going to need to hit the floor. They didn't, obviously, this year. They're going to need to hit the floor. So they don't really care. I think it's a – it certainly was a wow. On a day of not that many non-Nets wows, it was a wow. 
Yeah, I mean, when you consider that they had the option of paying him $2 million this year, they essentially gave him four years and $85 million if you think of it NFL style on, on an extension, which is over $20 million a year. Uh, I, I mean, I think it makes sense to the standpoint of, look, he's still extremely young. He's 23. This guy, people forget, you know, it wasn't like he was someone who went undrafted after a four-year college career. He was a one-and-done, which is part of why it was so shocking that he went undrafted. So he's still 23 now, and he has gotten better offensively each of the last couple of years. I'm curious to see as they kind of add more shot creation, whether that allows him to become a more efficient scorer, especially if he can show some, some improvement as a three-point shooter. Uh, you know you've got the defensive part of the equation down. So if if he just gets to, you know, even even within shouting distance of average, then yeah, I mean, I think then you could see him as maybe a twenty million dollar a year player uh, in his prime. And this takes him again through age twenty eight. I mean, he'll be an unrestricted free agent again at twenty eight. That that's pretty shocking. I just I just I'm always going to remember the Lou Dort deal in twenty <laughs> years on the Low Post podcast when it's all done over hologram. I'm going to be like, remember when Lou Dort got $87.5 million? That's probably going to be the minimum salary in the NBA in 20 years, <laughs> $87.5 million. Um, are there any other teams that you thought did interesting things that we have not talked about uh, yet on this podcast? Hmm. You're scrolling well, you know, through the, the standings. The Victor Oladipo contract, I feel like, kind of flew under the radar. I there was like talk last week that he was going to leave and that never felt like it made sense to me. Like, unless you're really concerned about, I, I, yeah, I mean, that only like they have the ability to pay him, you know, using bird rights. It doesn't, doesn't cost them anything effect. Essentially he looked much better and, and became a contributor for them in the playoffs. Like, I, I think there's definitely some upside to that, that deal for, for the heat. Well, and we obviously have not heard the last of the Heat's offseason given their involvement <laughs> no. in their potential involvement, I should say, in the Durant stuff. Uh, that one, that's a good call. I, I had heard that the Old Depot to Nuggets stuff was made up and not really true. Um, Detroit, we've, we've talked about a lot. The other mystery, so we mentioned Levine crickets today. I, I, everything I heard was that he was going back to Chicago. So, I mean, I, I guess I'll go to bed now assuming that that's going to be the case. And again, now it's wrapped up in the Durant thing to some degree, but the other big mystery to me, not mystery, but the other big sort of um, puzzle piece is DeAndre Ayton. Um, and, and now that's become perhaps linked inextricably, at least for a time here, to Durant. So, you know, that one is a big one for Memphis in terms of keeping its present day window open as long as it can. Um, other than that, I think I'm, I'm out of notes here. We talked about a lot of we talked about one a more lot for of you. Stuff. Huh? Would you think? Would you think of Joe Ingles to Milwaukee for six and a half million? Right? Yeah, it was a little surprising. When did he tear his ACL? I want to say January. And what's our what's our? You're the injury database guru. What's our what's our typical recovery back to play? Is it's a year in some cases, right? It it hasn't been less than eleven months since JJ Hickson for a full ACL tear since JJ Hickson, which was a long time ago. I forget what the exact year was. January thirty first, Joe Ingles suffers ACL and left knee, and and it's not like we should. I mean, Jamal Murray didn't come back this season at all. It's not like we should assume he comes back a year like clockwork and starts to play like Joe Ingles. That one, that one surprised me. Um, other than that, they brought back Portis, Javon Carter. Wes Matthews. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody that signed with the Bucks, but maybe I'm not. 
Um, the Bucks are awesome. I mean, I, they're just they're they're as long as the big three are healthy, the Bucks are going to be as good as anybody in the league and maybe the favorites, honestly. Um, but the Ingles one was was quite curious to me. I didn't see that kind of money for him. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, you know I figured that there would be some teams that would have substantial interest if they could get him at a bargain rate, but uh, Milwaukee probably didn't get a huge discount. I mean, I think you probably think of him as look, expect him back after the All Star break. He's our deadline acquisition. He's our buyout acquisition that we've already locked in ahead of time. Uh, Milwaukee didn't necessarily need to add anybody in that spot to get through the regular season. They're already pretty deep. So I think you can justify it from that standpoint. But uh, we'll also see, you know, Joe Ingles is also going to be 35 by that point, what he's got left in the tank. Oh, one team I do want to talk to you about for three minutes. Sorry. We should talk about the Clippers in a context other than just would they trade Paul George for Kevin Durant, and if so, what else would have to be in the trade? Because I, I, I mean, who knows what's far fetched and not anymore in the NBA? Kevin, I don't know anymore. Um, they extended Avica Zubats. They are have or will be coming to an agreement with John Wall at the tax mid level exception, which cost them Isaiah Hartenstein, who I think had the best plus minus on the entire team last year as part of a bench unit that was just decimating people. Really great passer for people who haven't watched him play. He's went to the Knicks on a two-year, $16 million deal. Brought back Batum uh, on a two-year, $22 million deal. Basically brought back everybody and added John Wall. Um, Do you think they are going to miss Hartenstein? Are you concerned about that at all? How do you think John Wall fits with their starting lineup if if he supplants Reggie Jackson as the starter? Which, to me, is actually... I'm guessing he will, but to me, that's actually a, should be a debate within the team. Um, how, how do you perceive what they've done? So as far as the center aspect, I wonder to what degree they feel like, okay, we found Isaiah Hartenstein you know, at the minimum last year. He had to make the team in training camp. I forget who else he was battling against. Let's go out and try and find the next Isaiah Hardenstein instead of paying him a lot of money uh, when we have limited avenues to do so. So I, I can understand if that's logic along with what you mentioned in the last podcast about them looking to go even more to that small ball lineup, which they kind of have to do because they've got so many freaking wings on this team. I think like they're had... I think they're all in playing five out when the chips are down, and I think Wall yeah. fits that vision perfectly. Just get by guys, blow by them, hit guys for threes. I think I think that's part of it for sure. I mean, look at their depth chart. You know, point guard they've got they've got uh, Jackson and John Wall will probably handle the most majority of the minutes there. Then two through four, you've got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Norman Powell, Marcus Morris Senior, Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, Terrence Mann, Nikola Batum, and Amir Coffey, who is the other guy they re-signed today. Like <laughs> three years, eleven million. That's right. It's a <laughs> I mean, ton of guys. Minutes for all these guys. They're like, the deepest team in the NBA. Um, I mean, they're maybe the deepest team in NBA history, which is good because they're also the most expensive team at this point in NBA history. Are they more expensive than this season's Warriors were? The season's Warriors came in at, I believe, at $175 million. The Clippers, if you include Wall at the uh, tax mid-level, are over 190 Woo! <laughs> Holy smokes! Wow, look, Steve Ballmer, 190 for it. Steve Ballmer. Yeah. Um, I do think it will be interesting to see if they start Wall, they're going to have... The, I mean, Wall's not a non-shooter, but he's he's not going to be guarded away from the ball and will run a lot of pick and roll with Zubats, which is both good because he's a great passer out of the pick and roll and quote unquote bad because there are two non-shooters are on the floor at the same time. Um, I do think it's interesting how that shakes out, um, whether they try to minimize the wall Zubats overlap to some degree. 
And as far as Hartenstein, his playmaking was such a boon for them last year out of the short roll, just hitting guys everywhere. I think they're not going to miss that as much if they're healthy. Part of the reason they needed that playmaking was that they had so many injuries to so many of their ball handlers and playmakers that I think they'll miss it a little bit less. I don't, I'm not, the offseason hasn't ended yet. We got to see where Durant goes. They might be the title favorites right now, if you ask me, and Kawhi's healthy. I mean, they, they are awesome and loaded and deep and still have the means to make a trade. Um, any parting Durant thoughts? I'm still – it's a lot, man. I, it's just a lot. It's Kevin Durant. It's Kevin Durant. I mean, I, I, I'm very concerned this is going to drag out and uh, loom over my entire summer league, which is going to be very disappointing. People don't realize that – I root and you root for your own life. I root for my life. Like, <laughs> Warriors-Celtics game six, I had to reframe in my head, okay, this is a win-win. If, this, if the Warriors win, it's over, and I go home, and I get to see my daughter, and I'm already on the East Coast. If the Celtics win, I'm going to be perturbed, but the reward is a game seven, and there ain't nothing like a game seven. Um, I want to go to Summer League, and I want to leave my phone in my hotel room, and I want to leave my laptop in my hotel room. I just want to talk to people all day long and catch up to people. I do not want to be stuck. I don't want to fly across the country, be stuck in my stupid Vegas hotel room, tracking private jets again on Twitter. And But but to, to, look, this is, a, this is a seismic event, and I do think it, it could take a while, or I could just wake up tomorrow morning and he could be on the Suns. I don't know. Kevin Pelton, <laughs> you are just unbelievable at your job. It's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for sorting out an absolute madness day in the NBA, and there will be more madness to come. We talked about uh, almost – we didn't talk about the Orlando Magic. Sorry, Magic. I want to see some more details on those contracts, whether there's some non-guarantees. Um, did enjoy the, the Paolo Bancaro uh, Photoshop tweet. Showing him and Durant on the same team, not realizing, as Richard Jefferson pointed out, that you're not going to be on the team if Kevin Durant comes. Um, All right, KP, thank you. All right, thanks for having me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.